Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in loving memory of Alfred Haber, Alava Shalom, Lunishmat, Alfred Ben Miriam, Alava Shalom, sponsored by the Haber family. As well, the week of Cobra was sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. We should be zochet to see for Haim Rafael Ben Frida, for Yaakov Israel Ben Tamar Malka, and for Rafael. Uh, ben Mazal and Yishaya Ben Laura. My friends, we are in the throes, in the lead up of the time of Pesach. And what is interesting to note is that in the entire story of Pesach, we are missing its main character. The Haggadah issues a uh, a you know, all-encompassing uh, discussion about the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim from the time that we became slaves there until the time that God took us out, uh, till the time that God split the sea. But the name of Moshe does not appear in the Haggadah at all. But for once, when Moshe is mentioned at the end of a pasuk, almost as a footnote. Vayaminu bamonai. And they believed in God and in Moshe, his servant. Not once is Moshe mentioned in the Haggadah. So it's important to understand, first of all, why is it that Moshe's name, this central character in the story of, uh, of Misraim, is skipped? And secondly, Amen. Secondly, what lessons are there? What are we supposed to be learning from this? My friends, I would like to start right in the beginning when Moshe Rabbeinu is chosen to be the person that's going to take the Jewish people out of Egypt. Right in the beginning of Sefer Shemot. The Pasuk says, in the moment that Moshe Rabbeinu becomes an adult. What do we see? We see that the Pasuk says, Vayigdal Ayelet. And the child grew up. And he was weaned. Vayigdal Moshe. And Moshe grew up. Ask the Khatam Sofer amongst many others. You just told me that the child grew up. What more could you be introducing with the words Vayigdal Moshe? And Moshe grew up. Answers the Khatam Sofer, Vayigdal Hayeled is generic. It does not describe the growing up of a personality, of an individual, of a great tzaddik. It's just that the child became an adult. Vayigdal Moshe, says the Khatam Sofer, is an expression of Moshe becoming great. And Moshe grew up. And Moshe became big. And what was the entirety of Moshe's greatness, says the Pasuk. What was Vayigdal Moshe? Vayar besivlotam. And he saw in their sufferings. Vayar besivlotam. And he saw in their sufferings. Vayetze elechav. And he went out to his brothers. Vayar ish mitzri. And he saw an Egyptian man striking a Jewish man of his brothers. The, the Pasuk says that it says, uh, the Pasuk says two times uh, 
in its exposition of Moshe's greatness that Moshe saw. One time it mentions in a strange vernacular, Vayar Lotam, and he saw in their suffering. That's not normal Hebrew. It should say Vayar Sivlotam. He saw their suffering. Not he saw in their suffering. That doesn't make grammatic sense, number one. Number two, it then mentions again, Vayar Lotam, and he saw, what is this second seeing, if you will, the seeing of an Egyptian man beating a Jewish uh, man of, from amongst his brothers? What are these two seeings, Vayar and Vayar? And the Chachamim explain something very powerful. You know, Moshe Rabbeinu at that point in time, he was different to all the other Jews. Moshe Rabbeinu had been singled out through the story of his discovery by uh, Batya. He'd been singled out from amongst all the Jewish children to be the one child that grew up in the palace. The one child that people did not quite know his background. They didn't know where he was from. As far as they know, Batya turned up in the palace, you know, with child in tow. Maybe she got him from child services. Maybe she had a shotgun wedding. But point is, she rocked up with a baby in the palace and no one knew where this baby was from. Moshe Rabbeinu could have gotten away with disassociating himself with the Jewish people and become a full-fledged Egyptian royal, the prince of Egypt. But Moshe Rabbeinu, he went out to his brothers, he saw in their suffering he saw an Egyptian man ready to kill a Jewish man. What we learn from this, my friends, is something remarkable. You know, there's all the time it happens where someone will approach you and they'll tell you about something that's going on in the community. And they'll say, as an example, do you know that there are children in the community, families that don't have food to put on the table? You say, really? I didn't know. Do you know there's someone in the community you know, their children, they're not letting the children come into school. Really? They're denying children the ability, the chance to come to school. I didn't know. How is it that he knows and you don't know? The Pasuk tells us the ingredients required. Moshe Rabbeinu could not possibly see the suffering of his brothers from the gilded reality of the palace he lived in. He couldn't witness the suffering of the poor, of poverty, from amongst, from within, you know, his corner office on Fifth Avenue. The first thing is, it requires a person leaving the comfort zone, the place that they are in. You need to travel to someone in order to see their story. And the Chachamim explained that had Moshe not left the palace, had he not vayard besivlotam, seen in their suffering, he never would have noticed that an Egyptian man was, being, was beating a Jew to death. He would have seen an Egyptian man taking his worker, giving him a push, giving him a hit. He wouldn't have noticed it. All the time, my friends, you see a man, a woman in the community, the way they speak to their wife, you think to yourself, you go back home, you say to your wife, 
you know, the way he spoke to his wife, not right. Do you know what I saw? I saw, I was in this, I couldn't believe it. You know, that one, the wife is hitting the husband. She's hitting him. I couldn't believe it. Do you know what, my friends? You didn't stay long enough. You didn't look hard enough. You didn't engage in the story. So all you saw was the snapshot. Look again. Our Chachamim tell us something very powerful. The moment that Moshe Rabbeinu was chosen to lead the Jewish people, we all know is the moment of the burning bush. The bush is burning, right? The snare is boer, and it is not becoming consumed. Moshe Rabbeinu turns to look and he says, Asura let me turn and see this wondrous, uh, you know, sight. How is the bush burning, but it's not becoming consumed? Says the Pasuk. Vayar Amunai Kisar Lerot. And God saw that Moshe had turned to see. And he calls out to Moshe from the burning bush and he says, Moshe, Moshe. Our rabbis interpret this experience, Vayar Amunai Kisar Lerot, that God saw that Moshe turned his head to see, not as God noticed Moshe turning his head to see the burning bush, but rather that in the beginning of Moshe's story, he was a person who turned from what he was dealing with to see someone. How often is someone trying to talk to us, trying to communicate, and where are we? Like this, on a phone. And you're sitting there, the guy's talking to you, or someone's standing there, you're like this. You didn't turn to see, you didn't leave your space. You didn't leave your office. You, you've remained from your own perspective in your own space. That's where you are and you're looking at the person through the eyes uh, of someone who has no clue. I love giving this example. You know, there was a, a, a while where they, you know, America loves to be a very helpful country. So there was a, a period of time where America discovered that there was a certain village, an area that needed a lot of help in some godforsaken third world country. And they analyzed the situation, they figured out that what they really need in this place is they need access to computers. If they had information, if they had the ability to educate themselves, then, you know, if they had the ability to sell stuff on Amazon, they'd be fine, right? What do they need? Computers. So the American government decided that they were going to drop, airlift, however many hundreds or maybe thousands of laptop computers. Amazing. Wonderful. Fantastic mitzvah. Small problem. The village didn't have electricity. <laughs> That's what it means to do chesed from where you are. If I look at you, in your frame, in your space, in your mindset, it looks very different than your own situation through my eyes. You see someone, you think to yourself, you know, I'm going to do this guy real chesed. I'm going to buy a beautiful suit for $2,000 in sacks. Let me take him with me. Also buy him a suit. The guy don't need a suit from sacks. But you're giving tzedakah through your own eyes. You're not actually turning 
from the lane you're in to see his lane, to see his world. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu had done. And therefore he didn't see a taskmaster just hitting someone. He saw someone that was hitting with an aggression, with a consistency, with a brutality. That would mean that if he didn't intervene, the guy would die. Sometimes we give tzedakah and we think, oh, I did my bit, but my band-aid, the guy's dying. Could you imagine someone comes to a hospital with cancer and he's bleeding and they put a band-aid on his wound? You're not, you're not engaging. Listen to the words of Rashi on this pasuk. And he saw in their suffering, Rashi quotes a magnificent sentence. I played with the sentence again and again and again. Natan He put his eyes and his heart to worry for them, to think about them. He put his eyes and his heart. Many times when someone comes, we're not aware of the problem because we don't give it enough time. So what do you need? Here's money. The guy doesn't need money. You know why? Because there's not enough money for you to give him to solve all the treatments he needs. You know what he needs? He needs you to introduce him to a lawyer that could get him could get his insurance company to pay out for the medical bills that they're refusing to pay for. He doesn't need $1,000 for this month's medication because that's not going to get him very far. Instead, if you put your eyes and your heart to see what his problem was, not to see his suffering, but inside his suffering, you would react very differently. My friends, how often... When a child comes to us, are we solving sivlotam, but we didn't look in sivlotam. Oftentimes, we're meddling in the wrong way. Oftentimes, we're intervening when we shouldn't really be intervening. I'll give you my favorite story of this. My daughter comes home and she says, Abba, forget what the kid's name was. Let's say his name was David, it wasn't. She goes, Abba, David pushed me in school today. Of course, my fatherly uh, defense mechanisms are all fired up. I'm launching the Iron Dome. What do you mean? What do you mean David pushed you? He hit you. What do you mean? What do you mean? What did the teacher do? The teacher didn't do anything. <gasps> ready to have the phone out. I'm ready to call. Someone's getting fired today. <laughs> Then she tells me, and not only that, he screamed at me. I said, he screamed at you? <laughs> Adding insult to injury? What did the teacher do about the fact that he screamed at you? She goes, nothing. Nothing? What kind of teacher is this? Hear no evil, see no evil? I'm fuming. And as I'm dialing, I say... <laughs> What did he scream at you? She said, he screamed at me, stop taking my toys. <laughs> Who's the aggressor? My daughter. She's taking the kid's toys. The kid's yelling, stop taking my toys. She keeps taking her toys. So he pushes her. The teacher did nothing. If anything, the other parent should be calling the teacher, yelling about the fact that the teacher did nothing. 
See, bayar besivlotam, I think oftentimes the challenge is that we don't have enough time. We're trying to multitask, and therefore we're trying to do things with half an eye and half a heart. But the Torah tells you, you can't see it unless you turn. Unless, you leave the palace. So there's a beautiful custom that many uh, people I've noticed have adopted in their offices. They have uh, people come visit them for tzedakah checks at the office. And there's a line of people and they're coming and they're visiting them. And I remember thinking to myself, the office is like the worst place to meet these people. Really, because you just, you just need to get back to work. If anything, at the end of the day, when the day is over, maybe that's a good time. Or when the day is beginning, maybe that's a good time. I remember there was a man who used to work with Edmund Safra, Allah Shalom, and he told me when Edmund Safra would come to the bank, the first thing he would do was he would spend 30 minutes dealing with that day's tzedakah requests before he did a stitch of business. Wild. That's the concept. Vayar lotam. This man told me another story. It was a fax that came in of a woman that said, before the holiday, before Pesach, I don't have money to make Pesach, what am I going to do? And all he could think of the whole day was the fact that this woman, woman did not have enough money for matzot, for food for Pesach. And he kept asking this friend of mine, he kept asking again and again, did we sort her out? Did we send the money? Maybe she needs more. Does she need other things? Maybe she needs clothes. He kept asking. It was on his mind. He couldn't get it out of his mind. That's a tremendous, that is a true Baal Tzedakah. I want to share with you one last story before we end today about what this means, Natan Enavilibo. He put his eye and his heart, and I want you to think, why do we use those two expressions? He placed his eye and his heart, Lihiyot Metzar Alehem, to worry for them, to feel for them. Why do you need an eye and a heart separately? What are those two different things? And how do those two different tools differ one from the other? I think the answer is that the eye assesses the situation. The heart recognizes perhaps, after it sees an accurate situation of what's going on, of the facts on the ground, the heart then says, what can I do to fix it? Going beyond the noticing of the state of affairs as they are and asks a deeper question, not how do I fix what's broken, but how do I prevent it from being broken again? That you don't see with your eye. You only see that with the imaginative compassion that a heart can have. Not an eye which assesses facts and actual vision. My friends, but I'll give you your pshat. You come up with your own pshat. The, the Rev Kahaneman was very famous, as, famously known as the Panovich Rav. Tremendous man. He uh, rebuilt the lives of the shattered people uh, after the Holocaust in Eretz Israel. They took many people, gave them back, built up their lives. He himself, his own family, was completely wiped out. His wife, all of his children, he had to remarry. He built uh, a family again. He built a yeshiva again when he came back to Eretz Israel. Amazing man. He built the yeshiva called Panovich, probably one of the most famous yeshivot around today in Bnei Brak. When he was a young man, he was traveling in Europe to a very famous place called the Yeshiva Tells. And in this Yeshiva in Tells, 
he was traveling towards this place and he decided on the way, you know something, I'm on my way, the Gadol Hador, he lives in Radin, his name is the Chafetz Chaim of Yisrael, uh, uh, Yisrael Meir HaKohen, I'm going to go visit him on the way, I'll get a bracha from the Gadol Hador. He arrives at his little hovel of a house and there's uh, the people, the people of the house are there in the house and he asks if he can come in to get a bracha from the from uh, the Chafetz Chaim, that's sure. There's a man there in the house, his name is Rev Hirsch, one of the, uh, the, uh, the people from the household. And he says to him, he says, I don't know if it's a good time now. I can hear there's someone's crying, someone's screaming. It sounds hectic. Maybe I'll come back later. So he smiled. Rev Hirsch smiled. He said, no, no, it's fine. He said, Who is the, was everything okay? Who's screaming? I hear someone screaming, someone's crying. What's the problem? Is there anything I can do? Rev Hirsch said, no, no, it's fine. Again, smile. He looks around. Nobody in the house seems bothered by the fact that there's these screamings that could wake the dead are coming up, you know, carrying through the house. He says, but please, he goes, yeah, I got to tell me what's going on here. He said, the Chafetz Chaim, he's on the roof, on the rooftop, and he's praying. He said, who's he praying for? He says, some lady. He says, which lady? He says, I don't know. He says, is it his wife? No. Some lady. I, we don't know who it is. Someone said that there's a lady who's having difficulty giving birth, a difficulty in childbirth. And the Chafetz Chaim, they told the Chafetz Chaim, so he went upstairs and he's praying for her. He's praying to Hashem, Te'ilim, Rifayenu Hashem. He's praying with all of his heart that she should get better. This is what the tefillah of the Chafetz Chaim sounds like. It's like this yesterday, it's like this today, this is how it's going to be tomorrow. So no, we're not worried, everyone's very calm, because we're used to it. The Panovich Rav, Rav Kahneman said, this is what the Chafetz Chaim sounds like for a person he's never met. I don't need to go study in a yeshiva anywhere else. I'm coming here. I'm joining the yeshiva in Radin, the yeshiva of the Chafetz Chaim, the yeshiva of a person who could care for a Jew that he never met this way. And many of those lessons he took on board and became part of his calling card for the rest of his life. Natan Not everybody has the time to be a full-time volunteer for a tzedakah organization. Not everybody has the time, you know, to greet people every day. But my friends, I want to ask you a piercing question. Maybe you don't have time always. Maybe you don't have time every day. Maybe you can't do it for a tzedakah that you're the number one front man face of that charity. But can you do it every once in a while? Can you pick a case here and there, one story, one occurrence, one tragedy, where you step up with your eyes and your heart, lihiyot metzar alehem. What can I do? How can I help? How can I go beyond the letter of the law? How can I visit and actually figure this out, but on a really deep level? All of that is part of what makes Moshe Rabbeinu Moshe Rabbeinu. You want to know why Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't appear in the Haggadah? 
because that's exactly how Moshe Rabbeinu would have wanted it. The greatest Anav in the world tried to get his name minimized in the Torah. And you know, the only thing he accomplished was he got a big Aleph to become a small Aleph. That's, that's the maximum that Moshe was able to get God to do. But the writer of the Haggadah, he had free license to honor Moshe's wishes. This is not about me. This is only about helping the people that I love so much. It's only about following God's command. So if you want to know why Moshe does not appear in the Haggadah, the hint might be the one place where he appears, where Moshe is perfectly content to be Moshe Avdo. You know when they say that some people are meant not to be seen and not to be heard? That was Moshe Rabbeinu. That was exactly as he would have wanted it. God said no for the Torah. The Baal Haggadah said yes. May Hashem bless us always to have that compassion. And if we are not blessed always to have that compassion, not every time to have that compassion, may God bless us that at least we should have it sometime. Baruch Amen Amen Rabbi